I had a fry every day this summer. Working on building sites. You know, now again, we didn't win, so maybe it wasn't the right thing to do. <laughs> I should have been there to the fruit and the OTB AM. Live, weekday mornings from 7.30 on the OTB Sports app. The News Round on Off The Ball. With Gillette, for an effortless finish to your day. New Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. This is News Talk. Welcome along to Monday Night's Off The Ball. We're going to be taking a look at the fallout from the weekend, the VAR controversy across various Premier League matches at the weekend. Pat Nevin is with us at half past seven. Pat was also at Parkhead to watch Celtic sweep Rangers aside in the first Glasgow derby of the season. The perfect preparation for the hoops ahead of playing Real Madrid in the Champions League this week. Tom English is also going to be giving us the perspective from Scotland after that very comprehensive 4-0 victory for the hoops. We'll be talking rugby with Craig Ray, South African-based journalist just after eight o'clock. The rugby championship is now very delicately poised with two rounds of games to go uh, with just one point between the top side South uh, the top side New Zealand even and the bottom side Australia South Africa bouncing back the world champions with a victory in Sydney against Australia at the weekend and also on the football show and across the show we'll be looking forward to tomorrow's World Cup qualifier between the Republic of Ireland and Slovakia Ireland are assured of a place in the playoffs for the World Cup but their position in those playoffs could be improved with a victory against Slovakia tomorrow so all that to look forward to between now and 10 delight to say Dan McDonald's here with me how are you going on Dan? Hi well um, before we bring Richie in, you were at the game at Tallis Stadium. You wrote about it um, last week as well, your experience of being a different perspective, not being in the press box, but actually being in the stands itself. And Vera Powell has been speaking about this today, that there were pockets of empty seats because people got the tickets early and didn't use them. Yeah, no, I, I didn't write about this in the Independent on Saturday. And <clears throat> yeah, like it does, it does seem to have become a thing in the sense that, you know, the the fallout from the game it, it hasn't just been sort of you know positive euphoria at the result you know which is obviously you know justified in the circumstances but also a sort of a broader discussion about what happened here um because certainly i have to say like as you know i was i was in the crowd i sort of that was the idea of the piece actually i was going to do just to see what's the mood like and probably had the idea in my head of thinking this is going to be a nice sort of almost this would be a nice feel-good piece about sort of what what it's like, you know, sort of behind the scenes almost at one of these games. And like, if you're in the press box, you don't really experience that, as you know. Like, it's a different, you know, you're sort of removed from the match day experience. Um, so I probably thought it was going to be this nice sort of happy story, but actually, it was a little bit, I don't know, a little bit underwhelming in some ways, a little bit flat in some ways. And I think there was a couple of issues with the ticketing, like. Clearly, the fact that there was people didn't show, um, and then even as well, um, I, I don't know, people were sort of arriving. There was a, an order over the Tannoy for people to like sit in their assigned seats, but naturally there was a lot of empty seats. So some people that go to games regularly were sort of applying a bit of common sense. They pushed into the middle, yeah, yeah, yeah pushed into the middle or whatever. But then there was people coming along, and there was like a security guards, like sort of cinema ushers, you know, showing people along to seat fourteen and fifteen, and then evicting people. So like. You know, someone else was in my seat and I was in that scenario of, well, I see my seat is occupied. I'm not going to go and take it. But then every time someone's walking down the steps, you're like, we're waiting to be moved. We're, we're waiting to be moved. And like people were talking about the atmosphere being flat in, in the early part of the game. And I honestly think a big part of it was just all the sort of comings and goings of people around. Um, so there's just a, like there's just a few things like that. And, and clearly, I think... Um, there was huge interest in this game. Like you have to make an announcement that it's sold out inside 
30 minutes, which sounds great. But they've had this with a couple of the games in Tala, um, particularly women's games, um, women's international, even the FEI Cup last year. And I mean, there's still very good crowds. It was a record crowd the other day. And I mean, the crowd that was there was still substantial. But clearly there's some kind of issue in terms of how it's been handled and, and how they you know, can process sort of uh, people not showing how they can notify. I know Vera Powell's point seems to be just people are, are you know, the people are taking tickets and and, and not really thinking of the consequences of Is not showing up. Is it part of the issue that some of the tickets are going out to say, say group tickets, whether that be to yeah. club season ticket holders, and then it's about making maybe that transfer of the tickets a little bit easier to actually pass them on to someone else? Yeah, that seems to be the case. Um, and I know the FEI are saying they haven't been sending out f- free tickets, um, but I think there would have been, obviously, as you mentioned, sort of grouped tickets and stuff and like the way to you know I suppose the nature of things at the moment like events like you will always have no shows late you're always going to expect that some people won't show like we're still you know you could have COVID or some sort of things happening that sort of knock out groups and there's always the danger that could be the case Um, but it's just I don't know I, I think as well um, it's they've now reached a point where it's fantastic. Like they've got the numbers going. Like the the first step was to get to the numbers. Like that's that's point A. That's like your start point. But like point B now is to probably make the experience a bit better. You know, do they need to look at maybe having a regular package for people for the the women's game so they could sort of sit together and like. I don't know, it was just like it was for a game of actual serious importance and you're hearing people talking afterwards about the place being rocking and, you know, that wasn't the case there. It was it was after the full-time whistle. It was mm. brilliant scenes. But during the match Some itself... Some of that the nervy performance as well. Yeah, I think so. I think, of course, the match contributes. There's absolutely no shadow of a doubt. And also as well, it's always going to be a different dynamic. Like, I think you can go there with your... You know, you have an idea... Like I was sort of making this point in the piece, it's like you know, a good atmosphere is like it's subjective, really. Like to some people, a good atmosphere is like like Rovers in, in Tala this Thursday for the Conference League. It's going to be heaving and it's going to be sort of tribal and sort of aggressive. That sort of like type of atmosphere, which some people it's like very alluring, and for other people maybe it wouldn't be for them. And like this is a different thing. It's always going to be a lot of young faces at the games, so it's always going to be. It's you're not expecting it to be comparable, maybe to to. You know, to, to sort of some some men's games you would have at the venue, um, and that's just been realistic about it. But in saying that, I think they could probably there's probably ways of just selling it, and they have to probably look at their ticketing stuff to, to figure out is there ways to do this better that even to get sort of grouped fans who go regularly to matches all together in one area might even just make the noise, make it a bit better because it was a big game, and and depending on how things go, they could end up having another big game in Tala and you sort of wanted to you wanted to be sort of you know to feel like a, and, and the players themselves have obviously utilised it to make home advantage for how they've performed but as I said I think there's probably room for improvement there to make it an even better experience going to games and I think I think it's healthy to have a discussion about this now like and that certain things have been highlighted because um, before the issue was people didn't want to take the tickets now you know, you've disappointed people, but they can't get into the ground. Like, that's that's obviously an issue. Yeah, we'll be joined by Asher Riley from Slovakia a little bit later on. She's been uh, getting the feeling ahead of the game tomorrow, which has importance for the Republic of Ireland when it comes to the seeding for the playoffs and uh, potentially being able to jump past one round of the playoffs for the finals in Australia and New Zealand. Richie McCormick is with us as well. How are you getting on, Rich? That's you well. Look, I know you want to talk about the news around all the news of the day, but the real news of the day is one I spotted in the back of the Irish Daily Star before we came on air. It won't okay. be Roddy Collins taking over Bohemians, Richie. Oh, he's, God. He has ruled himself out. And the reason he's ruled himself out 
it's not the right time. He says he wouldn't get the freedom and support from the Gypsies board to turn the club into trophy winners, and that would frustrate me. <laughs> yeah, he's got a book tour to, to look after as well. Well, let's not let's not forget that one of the the great works of fiction that will come out this summer. Is, Don't uh, you pretend that you're not um, going to pick up the rod fodder. You are going to be in. Oh, hundred percent. I'll be I'll be first in the queue down the bookshop to get that. That's that's you know that's I'm not even waiting for Christmas for that to come out. Uh, but yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting where where they go from here. Um, Derek Pender surely put a, a good case for himself forward on Friday night to be the next permanent boss. Uh, I know Jim Crawford's name has been floating around to do with the vacancy there as well. But they did what they needed to do on Friday night, which was get a good result and ensure that things don't you know descend into a rot between now and the end of the season. I don't think there's a a real massive danger of that now. They got three. Potentially, if they get through, obviously, the Shells game, uh, they got cup ties to look ahead to and uh, it could well still end on a, on a bright note for both. Yeah, look, I mean, I am like, I'm very fond of Roddy. One of my first jobs in journalism was ghostwriting Roddy's column. Which I'd say was uh, good fun. Which was uh, a good experience for a couple of years and um, would have <laughs> spent a lot of time uh, talking to him and would have been on air with him here. To be fair, I'm not sure he, he would be a, a contender for the Bowes job at the moment. I think he... I'm shocked. I think, you know, I think he might... Might, might might accept that, you know, but I mean, again, the question is there to be asked. I mean, he is synonymous with Bose, so it's natural that I suppose it might go that way. I assume, Dan, if you I were the ghostwriter like of the piece, and you're obviously not his ghostwriter anymore, that's the first question you would have asked him on the phone for well, like, yeah, The Bose job is up. I mean, you know, it's it as as sort of Richie alludes to the fact um, there's, there's various names being mentioned. I mean, I've heard there's great interest in the job. Like, I think there's going to be some... Is there anything in the Proper Jim names. Crawford? Uh, so that was, I mean, uh, that was me writing that on Friday. So I suppose I better say that there is. Um, otherwise, I'm in trouble. Um, <laughs> sort of doubting the veracity of my own stories. Like, no, I think th- there's no doubt. Like that, his name has been put into the mix. But I, in some ways, that piece was maybe more so about the fact that his under twenty one contract, bizarrely enough, um, for someone in, who's playing in a big game in Tala later this month, hasn't been resolved. I think it's more a case of uh, all of a sudden maybe people in the FAI are thinking, well, there's now jobs coming up. You know, this one would be quite attractive. Um, I think I think uh, people at Bowes have probably been told you know, he, he's a he's a good candidate, but I think probably deep down people would know that his preference and like he you know he would want to stay in that under twenty one job. Like they could be in the European Championships like next year. So. Um, to be honest, I, I don't think that one probably will will happen. A lot of his future will be determined by those two legs against. Yeah, him. I, I think I think he's done enough to get the contract anyway. I, as I said, I don't I don't I think the most likely scenario there is that he, he he'll stay with the twenty ones. Um, but the FAI, even with Stephen Kenny and um, even with Vera Powell's situation, they seem to have this feeling now. Which I know in the past, like you would have had a go at the FAI for handing out contracts too early, you know, before a big game, and then it feels bad. Afterwards. So I'm conscious of being slightly hypocritical, you know, when you've been critical of that before. But there, there comes a point when you have, uh, I, I kind of wonder when you have maybe local candidates who are probably in the case of, say, Kenny and Crawford. That's just my opinion. Like, I, I kind of wonder when people, OK, you're not necessarily going to have other international teams coming for them. That Do you feel in some way you can just put this on the long finger a bit more? Where we've had the Martin O'Neill to Stoke thing in the past and, and various things like that. You're, you know, you were afraid of people being picked off. Whereas maybe is it a sense that the FA hold the power a small bit with these these people? I don't know. That's just, that's just, just an opinion. But it's, it's a slightly 
unsatisfactory situation but to go back to the point uh, I don't think Roddy's going to be the next manager of Bowes but he's read himself out of it anyway um, but they're going to have some pretty big names I, I think putting their name in for it because it's a, it's a big job and you know look at you know Duffer's in the league now and I think I wouldn't be shocked if there was um, other sort of high profile people might start have a look at the Bowes and think yeah maybe that's tempting Mm. The news round is brought to you with Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Uh, Richie, I assume we're starting with the Republic of Ireland women's team getting ready for that World Cup qualifier tomorrow. Yeah, head coach Vera Powell has no new injury concerns ahead of tomorrow's qualifier with Slovakia. The squad trained this afternoon in Senyets, augmented by Wexford youth midfielder Evan Clancy. Ireland secured a playoff via last week's win over Finland, but Louise Quinn says a win over the Slovaks is key to skipping to the second round of those playoffs. You know, for us, there's plenty to play for. There's, you know, there's also in the team, there's plenty to play for in terms of making sure you're in the next starting 11 for potential playoff, where that may be, for Vera to see us and the coaches to see us in the best of our lives. So we're, you know, constantly competing. We constantly want to send messages to other teams. Um, and yeah, and about the strength and depth of our team. So for us, it's, uh, yeah, we, you know, we're, we're thrilled to get a playoff, but now we have this, yeah, we have another chance to make make it even better, make it even a better playoff spot, get that extra bonus for the hard work that we've done and, and to keep pushing through in this group like we always have. So, yeah, for us, there's yeah, there's never complacency in the games. There's always so much to play to play for as a team and, and personally. We'll be hearing in yeah, more detail from Louise Quinn a bit later, but Vera Powell is also talking, Richie. Yeah, she's criticised those, as you mentioned, who bought tickets for but didn't attend last week's game with the Finns. Despite the match being a confirmed sellout, pockets of empty seats were clearly visible at Tallis Stadium. And Pau says the ticket holders can't be forced to attend, but must be aware of the consequences of their decisions. The, the thing is, what, what do you do? Eh? Do you make it? Yeah, it, it's our marketing department, they're dealing with it. But what do you do? You do we want to have it accessible for everybody. Um, it, you can make the tickets more expensive, but then you put a lot of pressure on the people who maybe not have uh, that much available uh, and you want everybody to be able to attend so it, it, I think to my, my honest feeling I comes up, it comes back to the decency of the, of the people who buy the, buy the tickets that uh, they know that there's thousands of girls crying at home, literally crying at home because they couldn't go to the stadium and that you take responsibility when you, take, when you buy a ticket I think that was the frustration, Dan, was just that there was such a demand for the tickets with the nature of the fixture and people just couldn't get their hands on one. Yeah, no, like, and, and yeah, I, I think, like, what Ray Press says is, is the no but a point, really. Like, if you make it more expensive, then, it's, you know, people are probably more inclined to think about going, but then when you do, you know, you're, you're not going to drop out as easily. But the flip side is, and it was obvious the other day, like, in fact, like, people that were around me, particularly in the first half, like, I don't think they've been to a football match before, you know, and like that—that's a, as I said, that's a win. Like that's the whole point of like attracting new faces. So, just the whole routine of match day, you could tell it was all—it was all new to them. So that's like that's a terrific thing. So if you put up the prices, do you risk? Losing some of that sort of people's willingness to sort of experiment. Well, if the price is a fiver. On. Someone may well go. It's only a fiver. Yeah, that's basically it. Like people sign up with great intentions, and then you get closer to the time, and it's like, ah, uh, you know life gets in the way it's a bit of a trek in some people's mind like Tala it seems like a, a long way away um, so that that's clearly what happened yeah Leanne Kiernan staying at Liverpool Rich yeah she is she's part of the squad of course this week and she signed a new contract with Liverpool the 23 year old scores 13 goals last season as Liverpool won the women's championship to gain promotion back to the WSL 
Lee Mason's not going to be working on the VAR for the Premier League this weekend. He's been stood down after uh, the controversy, one of many, in the Newcastle game against Crystal Palace at the weekend. But uh, VAR, and it's now been referred for more conversations about what happened last weekend, very much in the headlines out of the weekend, Richie. Yeah, the man formerly responsible for overseeing referees in English football says officials currently are being hung out to dry by VAR controversies. Keith Hackett, who was the general manager of the Professional Game Match Officials Limited, says the technology is not being operated well enough. The organisation effectively admitted mistakes were made when goals were ruled out at Chelsea and Newcastle on Saturday. However, former Premier League official Dermot Gallagher doesn't feel VAR should be scrapped. I talk about half, half full, half empty glasses. You know, mine's half full. Think of all the decisions that it's rectified. Think of all the decisions it's got right. The offside at Brentford, you know, last season that goal would have been disallowed or before VAR that would have been disallowed. Quite clearly, you know, an error, an understandable error. Things like that. The ones that we talk about that haven't been given, they would have never been given without VAR. So I think it's a matter of, like we saw today with two decisions, where are we going to go, how are we going to develop, how are we going to make it better? And that's what I say, make it better don't kick it out. Dermot Gallagher there using his Sky Sports voice as opposed to his off-the-ball <laughs> accent when he's on with us. But um, the EFL have also been talking about technology of a different type, not VAR, but goal-line technology has come up there, Richie. Yeah, the EFL is saying it's incredibly frustrated that goal-line technology failed in a championship match yesterday, denying Huddersfield a goal against Blackpool. They went on to lose the match 1-0. Operators Hawkeye have told the EFL that multiple factors stopped the ball from being tracked correctly, so a signal wasn't sent to the referee. The Football League's ordering a full review, but the result still stands. You can understand the frustration here, Dan. We're going to talk about VR in a lot more detail probably with Pat Nevin in a few minutes' time, mm. but... In the case of goal line technology, this should be the really simple one. There's meant to be the sensor, it goes over the line, and it's meant to be correct every time. Well, I mean, you've had Hawkeye here this summer, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, like, it's, um, it's the one thing you're sort of relying upon. I suppose if you watch tennis and stuff as well, you're sort of, you're like, you sort of, you, you learn to trust the system and think, well, at least this part is covered. And then all of a sudden now it's like, I don't know. I mean, well, once it gets undermined, though, you start to question all sorts of decisions that were made previously, and could it have been incorrectly aligned on different occasions before that? Oh, listen, conspiracy theorists dream now. Mm. To be honest, you know, like <laughs> as in, teams who feel wrong, yeah, no, totally wrong. Because like the whole, I mean, the whole nature of being a football supporter or a sports supporter sometimes is to feel the world is against you. So, so you know, sometimes technology removes the whole point of technology is to try and make that sort of process not impacted by like some kind of human preference or urge and now people have reason to sort of start speculating that in some way they can they can convince there's some something something going on against them you know i don't know i mean i suppose you think of like the huddersfield one you mentioned like it, it just seems somewhat freakish you know like how many instances of sort of of that in recent years, can you can you recall? I can't think of too many. It might have been one other one. I feel like there was a, a an issue with that in English football. So I don't know. Like it's it's maybe it's it's not going to be a hundred percent perfect. But it's as I think Dermot Gallagher's point today. Um, you know, think of how many decisions it has rectified correctly. I'd probably be more closer to his his opinion than thinking you scrap it or something. Rich, did you catch one of the more interesting technology uh, debates that's come out the weekend as well? Did you see the clip of Lee Dixon who was on American TV? No, I have not. Uh, for anyone who hasn't seen it, it's worth checking out. So the conversation is basically between himself and Peter Drury. They're doing the Man United Arsenal game, and they're pointing out that the sun is in the eyes of Ramsdale during the game, and that he's not wearing a cap. And then right. during the middle of the conversation, Lee Dixon says, "Allegedly, we have climate change at the moment." Right, which kind of opens so, all sorts of Pandora's boxes. No, when he was yeah, it does. 
I didn't realize climate change suddenly affected the actual sunshine and it being in the eyes. Maybe, you know, the gradient and the angle at which the sun has reached people's eyes has changed. Uh, maybe it hasn't. Nor does I'm it. sure Lee, Lee, Dixon, Lee Dixon clearly knows more than us, Will. So Every day is a school day. And the funny part was there was a cap in use just the week before. Henderson was wearing one when uh, Spurs missed the penalty against Nottingham Forest. He was wearing the hat Henderson, when he saved the penalty. Henderson wore one um, as well while playing for Forest against West Ham start of the second half there. I know because of the commentary in the game. Mm. And he made a save and I think he lost it in the process of making the save and then just ditched it. So however use or whatever use hats are, I'm, uh, I'm not too sure. I'm always just reminded of David James wearing a hat in the early days of the Premier League and that never ended well. So Yeah, always nostalgic. GA goalkeepers used to wear them all the time and now they've stopped at this stage. Um, from people who wear hats all the time, let's go to the US Open tennis then. Before we get to the US Open, we'll actually, and uh, Dan could probably chime in on this too, a bit of disciplinary news from the League of Ireland that came in just as we went on air. Uh, Sligo are facing an appearance before an FAI disciplinary control unit this week. Uh, it arises out of Adam McDonald's appearance against Dundalk when allegedly suspended, they say. He started in midfield that day, lasted nearly an hour before being replaced by Max Matta. Uh, Sligo won the game by two goals to nil, but Sligo say the potential sanction of an adverse finding is an overturning of that result. So uh, they'll be represented legally, of course, in that hearing, they say, uh, this week. So it looks like Sligo could be losing three points in the SSE or Tristy Premier Division. Yeah, no, I actually did hear something about that uh, just coming in. Uh, so I'm not sure. Like I think Richie's probably read the uh, read the announcement or, or how it's been handled. Um, yeah, it just seems to be some issue as regards um, correspondence, as regards suspensions, and how it was how it was sent out. And it, I think Sligo Rovers would have to explain, I suppose, how they managed to uh, how they ended up in this situation. Because I think there was a date of whatever August 29th, I think, where a suspension list goes out, and he was due to be suspended from that date, but he played that day. But I, I, I'm guessing any case will will go into the back and forth of the correspondence but the bottom line I suppose is there's a race for European money going on at the moment which is uh, very important to all of the clubs involved um, you know you're talking about sort of the couple of hundred grand at stake I mean Sligo this year look what they got, they got from Europe and uh, now they're probably long shots to, to get themselves into the top four um, but also you'd imagine probably even Derry City and St Pats who are looking to get in and, and to vie with Dundalk will not be too chuffed with this whole situation so you can always do without that the old registration they talk about Roddy Collins and, and sort of 20 years ago in his pomp um, that was around the time we had Ollie Byrne and, mm. and he was in his pomp and, and all this stuff would uh, dominate entire seasons we could do without that I think yeah, three points could be very important, particularly if they go into Dundalk's column between now and the end of the season. Uh, the US Open tennis then, Richie, what's been happening? Yeah, men's ninth seed Andrei Rublev is true to the US Open quarterfinals for the third time in his career. The Russian beat Cameron Norrie this evening, 6-4, 6-4, 6-4. And he'll play the winner of tonight's clash, Rafa Nadal and Francis Tiafo. Third seed Carlos Alcaraz goes up against the 2014 US Open champion Marin Cilic and the 11 seed Yannick Sinner faces Russia's Ilya Ivashka tonight. Uh, women's 8 seed Jessica Bagula has completed a 6-3-6-2 win over Petra Kvitova this evening. Top seed Igor Sviantek is currently a down a break to Eula Niemeyer, the Wimbledon quarter-finalist in the first set of their last 16 contest. Tiafo Nadal just out on the Arthur Ashe, you should mention as well. Uh, the 2016 finalist Karolina Pliskova goes up against Victoria Azarenka tonight and Danielle Collins plays the six-seed arena Sabalenka. And just before we finish the news round, Richie, two stories affecting France in the World Cup, one in rugby mm. and one in football. 
Yep, France's plans for next year's Rugby World Cup have hit a snag. Vrimi Vakatawa has been forced to retire from rugby due to an unspecified medical problem. The Fijian-born centre won 31 caps for France and one of his 10 international tries came against Ireland in the 2026 Nations. A statement from his club Racing today says Vakatawa is unable to continue his career in France due to a medical committee ban from the LNR. Vakatawa is likely to explain his situation at a press conference tomorrow. And as you mentioned there, Paul Pogba now a major doubt for France's defence of the World Cup. The Juventus midfielder must undergo surgery on the meniscus in his right knee. Pogba is going to be out for up to two months as a result, cutting it fine to make Didier Deschamps squad for Qatar. All right, Dan is going to stay with me. Richie, thanks a million. Nice and We'll be talking to Pat Nevin in a few minutes, but that's the news round.